0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone excited about America's newest holiday, Juneteenth. And if you're looking for a way to celebrate um, later on today, Saturday, June 19th, Birchwood Cafe has teamed up with United. We are all free for the first annual Juneteenth Juneteenth celebration um, this Saturday at the cafe from 2 to 10. And uh, uh, later in the show, we'll be talking with LaDonna Redmond-Sanders about that. Also, check out art and abolition uh memorizing the m- movement and deepening our commitment and that is at seward co-op on june 24th from 6 to seven thirty. and you can get more information about that by going to seward co-op but now we're going to turn and we're going to turn to a local independent farmer um with us ricky uh Talbison. hi welcome to food freedom radio
1: thank you for having me
0: thank you for being here so tell us a little bit about your background
1: well my dad started a very unique thing with hogs about 40 years ago. He was ahead of his time he, about four
0: years or 40
1: years oh, 40 <laughs> yep, it's been a very long time literally but it seems
0: like four right <laughs> yes.
1: and sometimes it seems like it with what we are showing we know but um, he listened to his best friend an animal nutritionist who told him that he could change or make a healthier pork and he got very excited about this and brought it to a lot of other people. Nobody was interested because of the input cost. So it was very interesting of him to make the stubborn move to keep on going with it because he knew what he had. And I am so grateful to this day that he did that.
0: So talk about some of those nutritional issues.
1: So they came up with a very expensive diet that would change the fat in the pork to be polyunsaturated with um, uh, omega-3s added into it. It's an expensive process with crushing the soybean called extrusion. Very few people do it, so that makes it more expensive. But the, the benefit would be getting the, all the nutrients from the soybean. Um, the fish being added, I'm not sure how he thought of that, but it actually made our pork have more omega-3 then, fish, because of both the soybeans and the fish added into it
0: now describe um and pork where where these hogs are now raised, so it's uh it's kind of the I think the phrase is closed loop system, so tell us about that
1: okay we are um one of the few operations that do every stage ourselves um, we do all the breeding the farrowing, and all that because it's very important for the animal to be on this diet their entire life as well as giving us full control. When you're a farmer, you're definitely a control freak, and my dad was all about that, and now I fully get it. We get to enjoy what I believe is one of the few sustainable businesses out there, just simply because of things working out well and I yeah. really believe it's because my dad's stubbornness and his belief.
0: <laughs> I love stubborn people. It runs deep in my family as well. Okay, so one of the things you're saying upstairs that I found so fascinating is that you don't have the pigs all together by age group.
1: Right. Um, something very different. It took a while for my dad to be open-minded about this. Um, my brother and I, we noticed that when we sort pigs um, by size, when we take them away from their mom called weaning, that... What it ends up doing is causing more stress on the animals because they have to set their uh, social dominance or their, their ladder. Whereas if we kept the litter together, they already know each other very well. They're with all their siblings. It is very little stress on them. And we've noticed a huge difference by doing that. We've actually stopped um, a lot of the treatments that we had to do because when pigs get stressed, they're more likely to get sick. So it became common um, protocol to always give an an antibiotic by shot when we move them. We never feed antibiotics, which is one of the most common things of other farmers, because it's a lot easier. We only spot treat when pigs need treatment. And that's why I was having a hard time with this idea of always giving antibiotics when weaning. And... Thank God it inspired something different that many people don't do, and it's just so simple.
0: Now, in the next segment, we're going to go more in details about how uh, most contract farming is done because, I mean, in the U.S., we produce what's called $21 billion of pork annually. We export $6 billion of that, um, and and then there's all this concentration of wealth and but but you your family has something that's called um I love this no gluten no filter filters no hormones no antibiotics and no bull
1: mhm and that would be uh, no fillers not uh filters oh, yeah. um just meaning really we're just so proud of our pork we don't want to throw anything in that's going to be different from it just to get more out of our pigs
0: and so in uh, 100% of your you're all direct consumer
1: Exactly. We sell directly to our customers because our pork is so different. We know that it's going to be way too hard for any other retailer to try to inform their customer, not to mention with that different fat, there is less of a uh, shelf life. That's one of the reasons why um, when my dad brought this to the big business, they immediately poo-pooed it because it's very disadvantaged for the uh, processors. The meat itself is softer, so it's harder to work with, and the shelf life is less, so there's more risk by making the product.
0: But it's healthier for humans.
1: But it's much healthier for humans. And it's
0: much healthier for the pigs. Yes. So they probably feel better.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And they're
0: with their friends and their siblings and not all together, mixed by age, but they're mixing with each other. And, and then you're saying that it's also, um, as far as their manure, is used on your organic fields.
1: That, right. Um, that is part of our sustainability is that we do run our own, own organic land. And with our expensive diet, our pig's manure is some of the most nutrient-rich manure out there. So we are very lucky there. We could actually even sell it to other people make profit on our, on our manure. That's
0: great. And then so um, do you affect the water by the way that you do hogs?
1: Um, many years ago, before regulations came into place, we did have an open air or open, open air lagoon, they call it. And in that case, we would have had some runoff into the uh, lake. We don't I mean, it's hard to really know how much because it was a distance away. But since then, everything has become enclosed. Everything is self-contained. And we actually really like that because that manure is so valuable, we don't want it going into the lake. <laughs> we want it in the field.
0: That's so cool. Okay, so talk about how you sell directly. You do a little bit online and farmer's markets. So
1: The online is a very new thing. Um, we very much prefer the farmer's markets. We love getting to talk to our customers. We love the relationships that we build with them. And we actually learn a lot from our customers too. Um, one of the best ways to describe our pork Many people tell us they hate pork and they will not eat it. So then we usually challenge them and give them a package of bacon and say, I'll see you next week. And a lot of people come back thankful for that and ask us, why is this so different? Um, One of my favorite employees put it in the best, simplest words, this is feel-good pork. You get to eat it and feel good afterwards. I actually just experienced some ambassador hot dogs because we were researching, <laughs> and now I understand exactly what that means. I did not feel that great after I ate the hot dogs.
0: Well, and that, and really tuning in and trusting our intuition on that because that's the same with me. And um, I, I live with vegetarians, so I, I do eat a lot of vegetarian meals, but I also do want to have some meat. So I have been going to Egan um, Farmers Market and, and getting my pork fix um, your, your, for your brats and hot dogs um, pretty much every Wednesday. So. Um, Tell us about your schedule at the different farmer's markets.
1: Um, This year we have um, simplified things a little bit. COVID was a great thing in making us challenge how we were doing things. Um, Two, three years ago, we would have a very full schedule, being at markets from Wednesday to Sunday. And that everyday market thing, it gets very, very difficult. Um, So Egan, we actually had to switch to just food um, and dropped Edina entirely as well as the Friday market in Minneapolis. The reason why we did all of these things is that we only have so much pork to be able to move, and we only have so much time to be able to prepare things. So instead of being out all the time, we are taking our time to make sure we go out well prepared and move all the pork that way. Mm -hmm. And so far, it looks like it's going to be a successful business plan. We'll find out at the end of the year if we have meat left or not.
0: Great. So uh, what days are you at? Which markets?
1: Oh, right. Uh, Wednesday, we are at the Egan Market um, in the afternoons from 4 to 8. And then not until the weekend are we at the market again. Saturday will be in Bloomington and Minneapolis, and then Sunday, just Minneapolis.
0: Okay so Saturday and Sunday at the Minneapolis Farmers Market and Saturday in Bloomington and Wednesdays in Egan. How awesome is that? And then and I love that you said uh, by uh face to face. And then but you are trying to um do more online and people can go online and they can order everything from a they can go whole hog if they want, right?
1: Absolutely. It's been a request from customers for oh god 15 20 years at least and thanks again to COVID, we finally Really um, investigated into how can we do this, and after a couple of years of playing around and learning, I think we've got it pretty well dialed in. Um, we did that for the convenience of the people who can't come down to the farmers' market but really want the pork. So many stories of people who fall in love with their meat in Minneapolis, move down to Florida or Alaska or California, and just can't find anything that's like this, and they want they they will pay anything. One person paid $100 shipping charge back before we had what we got going on. and, I, and My dad didn't even want to do it. He, he just felt so bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So now tell us about how it works. Uh, it is free shipping if you spend so much money right now or something?
1: Well, right. So we've been able to negotiate good contracts with Speedy and um, the people that we get our boxes from. And since we don't have the input costs of taking it to the market – you will have uh, free shipping on there, but we did have to set boxes in order for it to make sense for us. Right. Um, one person that we had heard from that was just having a nightmare with shipping did not do that and was having, even with a minimum amount, it still gets really difficult on being able to know what to expect. Right. And if you do it that way, you're going to have about 15 different boxes.
0: Yes, yes. So I can see how you got to make it simple. Um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. We're talking with Ricky Tolfason of Tolfason Family Pork. Um, and when we come back, we're going to hear about um, contract farming and how um, hog farming is done um, and other farms. And then you'll know why you have to really support your independent farmers. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Food Freedom Radio, I'm Laura Headline, and in studio with us is Ricky Tolfason with Tolfason Family Pork. Now, on your website, they talk about the origin story in 1980 um, about the failure. So you want to talk a little bit about the failure in 1980?
1: Well, my dad would know a lot more about (laughs) it, uh, to be perfectly honest. I can tell you that he went through a lot of struggles in order to get to where we are. He put up his own operation. He had his own um, processing plant. He was actually doing a 1,000 pigs a week for slaughter, um, but learned a lot from that too. Just because you have a great idea, if you go too big too quick, there's nothing to hold you up. So that was when he realized he needed to take his big idea and go small and start working it up.
0: And the big idea was healthier pork. Exactly. That's the big idea is how to make pork with better fats than it has by giving the animals food that's highly nutritious instead of bland industrial feed.
1: Exactly. Fed on GMOs. (laughs) Instead of worrying about your bottom line and keeping your costs down low, he was simply worried about how do you make the best pork for everybody? And it didn't catch on because it's too difficult for the processors and all that, but – he knew people would want this, this would mean a lot.
0: So I want to take this segment and really focus on um, what's known as contract hog farming and get some information from an article written um, uh, in the Chicago Tribune by uh, uh, by a reporter who um, won the 1990, 1999 Pulitzer Prize and is, and is a finalist. Um, but um, so uh, the facts, you know, U.S. produces um, 21 billion pounds of pork and it's exported to China. So now the hogs might be owned by someone in Iowa raised in Illinois through Contract farming, slaughtered in India, and then shipped to China. That's kind of the way most of the pork's done now.
1: That is my understanding, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then so um, the, the largest meat processor uh, purchased Smithfield, a China company uh, purchased Smithfield a few years ago, and another Brazilian firm purchased and acquired a Cargill, uh, U.S. based
1: pork. So basically, <sighs> we don't own any of our own pork. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. And um, uh, it, it's also uh, – it's 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 really sad on, on these contract farmers. Do you want to talk about that a little bit or
1: – Well, um, so what we definitely experience is that we don't have any um, hog farm neighbors because there really aren't any. And the, all the hogs are raised on a huge operation where we never see the people. We never – who knows who's doing the work there because they're all about cutting the bottom line. So we – used to have a camaraderie of other farmers that would come see what we're doing. Like, when my dad was my age, he actually was making news by pushing pigs sooner than ever. And that came from other farmers coming and talking to him, and they're brainstorming, and he thought this might be a good thing to try, so he figured he'd try it, and it was huge. And I don't know that much about that. You might have to talk to my dad to explain Uh that one better. But it's a great example of how the community of farmers helps to uh, innovate with hog hog raising. And when you have big business come take over, you're not going to have innovation that's good for people or the animals. The innovation is simply going to be good for the owners.
0: And um, uh, in this article um, from, this, uh, from the Chicago Tribune, it has this really scary chart about – in 1978, it was like very, very few farms uh, – pig farms were over 5,000 5, pigs. Now it looks like about 90 percent of all these farms are over 5,000 pigs.
1: Um, oh, when I go to a conference and they ask me how big our farm is and I say – Like 750 to 1,000 with all the stages of of operation, it is – okay. You don't know what you're doing. Like, yeah, okay, whatever you say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so what are some of the – the uh, so I'm going to read some of these quotes because it it was really compelling, that article again. And it's like um, what the contract farmer has to do is they have to um, pay for um, their barn and all their equipment – but um, the guy said he sort of felt like a janitor and he was in so deep he'd never do it again. Ninety-three-year-old um, Harold Still, who was one of the state's hog pioneers, said, quote, simply put, corporations took over the hog business. And there are so many environmental problems with that as well. So um, uh, so when the big pork com- companies take their pigs and dollars elsewhere, the contract growers pay to de- commission these giant waste legumes and tanks – I mean, it's just to me. It's just it's just so sad what's happened. And it it's
1: tragic. But it's just such a disconnect, and it's to me it's because profit is all that matters, and there is no concern about people or the or the animals or any of that.
0: And the and the quality of the animals. I mean, we've said it several times in this show. Is if we did to pigs and cats, what we do to pig? If we do to if we did to pigs and cow, if we did to cats and dogs, I can say this sentence. If we did to cats and dogs, what we do to pigs, there would be total
1: outrage. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what blows me away when um, I go to other operations and I challenge them on their um, animal husbandry. And they think, why? Why would I care? Well, the nicer you are to the animals, not only are they going to be better behaved for you, it's going to be better on your own psychology. Like, in the slaughter plant, if you have no concern of the people, it really gets to them. And I know a lot of people that just can't, they started on the kill floor, they kind of liked it because they were learning, um, but because there's no respect to animals, you lose your humanity, and it just isn't worth it whatsoever.
0: No, and that's it. We lose our humanity because we are connected.
1: Mm-hmm. And you
0: were joking earlier about how some people were like, oh, should I be afraid of the pigs? But then you just went in the pig area. and
1: Yes. Uh, we, we get so many people um, when we're in the cities at the farmer's markets. They really want to check out the barns. And sometimes it works out to do that. And every time um, what we notice is people are so afraid to even touch the pigs. And it, to me, that's the most important part about being a farmer as i like i like to take the time to just lay in the pens with the pigs and let them come cuddle with me and so it blows me away to um think of a different mentality i guess
0: yeah and um do you want to talk about the animal rights part of that i mean somebody may may feel differently on that but I, I mean, I think if, if we're eating meat, then having I mean especially- I
1: would talk animal rights all day with anyone because our slaughter plant, it is a completely different floor. I have experienced other processing plants and I finally understand uh, the factory mentality and the problems with it. But what we do at our small building is sustainability. It isn't profitability. So we're not pushed to do anything we don't want to do. And we have actually the two biggest animal lovers in the world doing the killing and skinning. And it used to be another animal lover as our inspector, but she got promoted 10 years ago and we got a different inspector. But he also respects the animals too. I just always point it out to people when they asked us at the market, do we have happy pigs? And I tell them, I cannot imagine a happier pig. <laughs> <laughs> it would be insane.
0: And you actually do the butchering yourself, which is what we're going to talk more about in the next segment.
1: Um,
0: but, um, but yeah, because um, we can talk a little bit. Everything, you, you, you do the butchering local as well.
1: Well, right. So to touch back on those people coming out and touching an animal is key for, for them to be able to know that you're there. And they will sense your feelings right from your touch. And that's why it's so important to understand the importance of it.
0: Okay, we'll we'll be talking more about that when we return. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM
1: 950.
0: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with Ricky Tolfeson at Tolfeson Tol- Family uh, Pork. Um, so when we went to break, we just kind of touched a little bit on slaughtering. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So um, I have experienced a factory farm, and they do things like anyone else would with an electric stun. And the problem with that is it takes a certain amount of time for it to be really effective. And when you are in a... Um, efficiency mode you rarely take the time to do things right we not only use a stun gun which most people don't use because it's a lot of hands-on for the employees which normally means a lot of psychological bad effects we work very hard as we discussed. we're all animal lovers so we work very hard to make sure we have the right perspective about why we are doing what we're doing we those animals are there and given as much love as they are to support our family, and to provide quality meat for everybody. And so while I'm doing it, I make sure I'm very calm so that when I touch the pigs, they can feel my calmness and it helps them calm down. And I know a lot of people, when I say touch the pigs, they they think all sorts of nasty stuff, but I'm just talking about putting my hand on their back. Just skin-to-skin contact. People forget how important that is. I mean, even with human beings, it's very important but that is the key part of our animals calming down. It also helps that they are our animals, so they're familiar with us, but even then, they are very, very smart animals. They know why they're, why they're there. They see that door open, they know bad stuff is about to happen. So it means so much to me to be able to calm an animal down when they know that something not good for them is gonna happen. Again, I keep in mind, in fact, I wear all green, to remind myself that this is how my family survives, and it is very important. Another perspective I keep in mind is that I'm the one that's getting to see the insides. I get to see everything going on with these pigs. So I get to double-check, how are we doing? Are the pigs sick? Are they getting um, injuries in the same area? Maybe we have metal sticking out. or you know, There are so many little things that get identified just by... Our attention to detail um, when we are doing the slaughter process.
0: Well, in the the fact that the owner, your your, your owners, um, your your dad owns. You're all family owners, and you're on every aspect of it, from the slaughter to the raising. Everything. Every, every family, family member does. the processing. I mean, even we don't
1: own the processing plant, but this is one of the unique things that my dad has established with this business. And it happened because the processor actually wouldn't take his pork (laughs) unless he was there. They didn't have the labor to do it. So they said, well, we'll process for you, but you have to come and help with breakdown and with slaughter. Well, we've kept it that way because it's fantastic that the farmer is working with the animal the whole time. We know what's going on with our pork. and And it keeps the bill down.
0: And again, I want to kind of briefly compare it to what the dominant situation is. If you're buying any pork at all from any big box store, it all comes basically it's owned by Smithfield, which is now owned by Chinese Enterprises, and it's all contract workers all along the phase. And during COVID, we saw the inside of those plants. There's a lot of issues with that. So compare that with you're growing them, you're slaughtering them. And in some ways, I was wondering if – You see that slaughtering is actually a sacred act.
1: It very much is to us. Um, I mean, we have the two people that do the skinning and the slaughtering are the two biggest animal lovers in the world. Uh, One guy has three dogs and two cats because people know they bring an animal that they don't want to take care of anymore, Rex will take them. Well, the same thing happened to me too. And the uh, inspector was a major animal lover, and I asked her when I first started um, over a decade ago, I don't know exactly when, why are you here? And she said, "Because I want to make sure this is done right." And that really stuck with me. That's why I really challenged how we were doing things. And it, at this point, we do things very differently than what we were doing a decade ago. And I think that we keep dialing things in for the better of both us and the animals.
0: And then I've I live with vegetarians and and I respect vegans. How do you how do you make how would you respond to a um, someone who's a vegetarian or vegan. I mean, everyone has their choices, and there's no one right choice. I want to make sure I'm. Clear everyone
1: on that. has their choices, and so I always respect them. I usually ask, "What is your reason for your choice? Is it simply health aspect? Is it you don't trust how the animals are being treated?" Um, and usually, that gets a good dialogue going. At this point, my dad and I are had well over um, two handfuls of vegetarians, you know, ten plus people. They will only buy our pork, not because they're eating it, of course they're vegetarians, but they have people in their life that are going to eat meat It is very high priority to them that it's a quality meat, and I think that is really awesome
0: that is awesome and so um and um um uh, so again, now let's talk about the different meat products that are available and how people can find out about them.
1: Oh God, there' so, <laughs> <many. laughs> so many there so many I know
0: I know and then one thing I love is you have some sugar free products for people who are on um that one diet that, that where they really want to avoid all added
1: sugar. So the most exciting thing to us in our family business is that almost 40 years of operation, my dad has dictated everything, and so all the ideas that the kids have had usually got poo-pooed. <laughs> well, finally, we are in the era where these kids apparently have some good ideas, and we're trying some of them mm-hmm. out, and that no sugar product is exactly it. Um, That's actually due to my perfect sister who was changing her diet up and asked my dad if we could do this. He said, oh, yes, of course. And I thought, oh, I really wish I had that ability. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm just so grateful because people have taken to it very well. Um, As far as difference in our product, it is basically breaking into smoked or fresh. Smoked is fully cooked, so it's very convenient. I prefer the fresh because even though it is a little bit more work, you get more of a flavor of the meat, and my dad created the the highest quality pork I can imagine. We even eat our ground pork without seasoning it sometimes because we're so hungry, and it tastes good. Mm-hmm. And that blows me away.
0: So talk about your family.
1: It's uh, it's a di- very close um, dichotomy. I thought every family was like our family, but we are, when we're going to go out, usually it's our siblings we call first. And then we'll call our friends. And so it's very interesting. We were always our own playmates because we're so close in age and we lived way too far from other people. And we had all this beautiful farmland to be able to play <laughs> on that we're as close as it gets. My siblings know pretty much everything in my life. And I have, all my girlfriends never understood. Why are you telling them this? Your dad doesn't need to know that. Your brother doesn't need to know that. We're an open family. We're about people knowing what's going on with us because, for one, we might get insight that is helpful, but we just don't know any other way.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. And so, five kids?
1: Five kids total four boys, one girl. My dad made it very clear that all they wanted was one girl. So, I guess we're very grateful that it took them a while. There was one boy that came after the one girl. no one wants to say it, but maybe it wasn't intended. I can <laughs> tell you that right afterwards, my dad got a vasectomy, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, so um, I, I want to go a little bit more because you have such awesome products, and, and I do love your brats. Your brats are great, and especially with Fourth of July weekend coming up. And, and, and the whole idea of supporting an independent – the independent businesses, it just creates a whole different – um, way of being in our society. I think we're all, uh, I think it's just so much churn out there. It's hard. Um, so many people are freaking out and churning if we just relax and kind of we're able to know each other and buy and sell from each other.
1: I think that was another good benefit from COVID is that people really started challenging a lot of things. Maybe, hey, ordering everything I want from Amazon and having it brought to my door <laughs> isn't the best way to do things maybe I should go get connected with the farmer. So we definitely noticed a huge spike at the markets, um, both during and after what we call the COVID season. Um, We are so grateful that things are getting back to normal. It makes human interaction. It makes our job, everything much better.
0: And um, so, COVID and um, and the, uh, what happened with COVID and the pigs really made visible a, lo- a lot of things. And um, for instance, the so you have the factory farms and the factory processing plants. They're having a hard time getting employees right now. Absolutely. You know, so I mean, it, that all makes uh, not only is it unpleasant, but I think it's not. A, a, there's so many uh, justice issues with that food system, but there's also issues around how fragile it is.
1: Yes. Yes, and uh, that's one of the reasons why they're having a hard time getting people. Yes, there's a difficulty in getting workers because of a lot of handouts, but especially with processing plants, because they don't think about the people that do the work and the psychological effect, nobody wants to do it. So then you have to pay a lot of money to get people to do it, and it's not feasible,
0: I remember I went to one uh, processing plant. This was way in the 80s. I couldn't be there because of the smell.
1: Oh, (laughs) I'm a hog farmer, so unfortunately, I don't have smell anymore.
0: Okay, So um, what else would you like to say? Let's remind people that one of the – so one of the ways that your dad created this company in 1980 is because he was in conversations about how to make a better pork so it would have better nutrition through feeding animals a higher quality feed. And that's a much more expensive feed than than they would do in commercial – most commercial or all commercial operations.
1: Absolutely. It took – a man as stubborn and full of himself as my dad, and I mean that in all the best ways, to be able to withstand the criticism, the struggles that he withstood, to be able to get to where we are now. The most amazing thing to me as I keep thinking about it, I became who I am now because I was raised on a farm, but I was always in the cities. So I have both the rural um, roots and, and beliefs. But I have the experience of everybody. Like back when I was young, I didn't know what gay people are. I just knew that they were people that two guys together, they were super nice, really loved it. Uh Got older, found out that gay people are bad, I guess, or something. Uh I don't understand. They're they're fantastic people. Right. And so it's really great when you are a child and very open to the world to get to experience those things before – the world starts to teach you what you, they think you should know.
0: You know, I really love what you just said there. The world starts teaching you what, what, what they think – because um, uh, so much – in, in the next segment, we'll be talking about Juneteenth, but so much of the oppression that we have, it's living in our psyches and how do we wake up to a living world where we just get to be with each other.
1: Exactly, and that's why I, I feel like they say the most successful cancer patients have the ability to – see their cancer as a benefit. That's how I feel about COVID. I, yes, it was tragic. It was a bad thing. There are still so many bad things happening because of it. However, it made people wake up, It made people start challenging things. And once you can change your perspective and realize all the things that you learned because you were forced to challenge it, you might just see it as a benefit like I do.
0: Yeah, and so um, your contact information.
1: Oh, yeah. Should we talk about the business? Yeah, well, why do we talk
2: about the business? Uh, Less
1: the, 30 seconds. The best thing to do would go, be go online, Um There's a lot of information, a web store, Facebook is a, good, a great way to. Um,
0: and again, that's spelled T-O-L-L-E-F-S-O-N. Tulvison Family Pork. Well, thank you so much, Ricky, thank, to Tolson for being with us. Thank you for having me, Laurie. Yeah, it was great. It's been awesome. We'll be back, and we'll be talking about Juneteenth, which is today.
1: Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song.
0: Welcome Today. back to Food Freedom Radio, and uh, I'm Laura Hedlund, and joining us now is LaDonna Sanders-Redmond. Uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am. I am, too. Now, we're taping this on Friday, but it airs on Saturday, and so Saturday is Juneteenth. It so, is. Which isn't is. Isn't fantastic? Isn't that? Is, which is now we get a new holiday. In the United States, we have a new holiday.
2: Yay! A new federal holiday, and you know... <laughs> I use, we usually, um, you know, have a holiday and, I, you know, all the ones I can think of are about food. I mean, rather weird. Well, maybe except for like the federal holidays around presidents and Dr. King's birthday. Not necessarily about Sweet potato food, pie. But, <laughs> and, well, that's true. That's true. You know, but um, Dr. King's favorite pie was pecan pie. Oh. So, for the record. New. Okay. Right. <laughs> he was a pecan pie person.
0: Great. And now if people are looking for a way to celebrate today, um, what is happening at Birchwood Cafe?
2: Birchwood Cafe Cafe is um, hosting a Juneteenth celebration, and um, they are calling it Until We Are All Free. It starts um, today at 2 p.m., goes to about 10. There's going to be all kinds of activities for children, bouncy houses and Of course, there'll be food. We're at Birchwood Cafe, and it'll be great food. It'll be the kind of food that supports liberation of the land and people and farmers. That's the kind of food we want. But there'll also be poets and entertainment, um, music, you name it. It's going to be there. And um, you all know where Birchwood is, but I'll give you the address. 3311 East 25th Street in Minneapolis. And no reservations.
0: No reservations.
2: Just show up. Just show up. It's outside. They're going to be outside in the street. So you will be, you know, you won't miss them if you go to that. If you try to get to that address, you can't drive up to it because they'll be in the middle of the street.
0: (laughs) That sounds great. And then, um, so that's today, Saturday, June 19th. And if someone misses that, there's also an event at Seward Co-op on June 24th.
2: Absolutely. That is um, called Art and Abolition. And, um, you know, our co-op has, you know, worked really, really hard to be a place where you know we uh, work actively to be an, an anti-racist uh, organization so you can definitely join us at either store the event starts at 6 goes to about seven thirty, and so you're going to get a chance to see some artists um, um, and their artist pieces um, you know to see that uh, artists have really been supportive of the co-op during the uprising um, providing artwork um, certainly when we Um, had to um, you know put the boards uh, up on the stores um, and so you can see all of the artwork and have these conversations I'll be there um, actually I'll be at the friendship store um, with another uh, board person and two other board folks will be at the Franklin store so whichever store you want to come to you are welcome to come
0: that sounds great
2: so why 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 celebrate Juneteenth hmm You know, that's an uh, an awesome question. The legacy of the United States has been such that we have not reconciled the experience of African-Americans with a background of um, people who were enslaved. This, This was an atrocity, and it didn't just impact our country once or twice. We're talking about an event that lasted 400 years. We're talking about tens of millions of people who were kidnapped and taken from the continent of Africa and brought to the United States and South America and Central America um, to work for free on land that was stolen. And we have to really include that story as well because the two atrocities, stolen land and genocide and um human trafficking and the horror of enslavement, really came together at the foundation of our country. And we have never acknowledged or um, reconciled that. So with Juneteenth comes the beginning of a reckoning. I I think that actually, if I had to say the precursor to that would be the murder of George Floyd. But this reckoning that that Juneteenth brings us, brings us an opportunity as a country to face this horrible past and then to be able to build a way forward, a one that includes reparations and healing.
0: And I know I got this from uh, from Tracy at Birchwood, but that um, as a white person, connecting a June um, Juneteenth is for everyone because our liberation as 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 white people is connected to your liberation. I agree with that, but what does that mean?
2: Well, you know, it's really simple if you think about it in terms of our food system, right? there's only one food system. There's one planet. There's one, there's one sky, no matter where you are, it's only one. There's one piece of land and we're connected. And so wherever someone cannot get food or someone doesn't have access to food and I do, it really does mean that my access is only because they don't have access and, 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 my access could be impacted if something should happen in the system and it wouldn't matter whether I had money or not, I wouldn't be able to get it. And I think the best example of access was, you know, recently with COVID-19 and how COVID-19 showed us that our systems were very fragile around food Um farmers uh, were basically throwing away food because we have an industrial system that feeds us. And then we have an industrial system that feeds the industry and farmers were caught in the middle of both of those. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get enough food to market. So where we all are free, then everyone has the access that we need, that we need. And when we are not, if one of us is not free, then we are not free. We have to be in solidarity with each and every group of folks who might feel, uh, not might, who feel, who, ha- who have been marginalized by racism or, uh, gen- uh, uh, what am I trying to say, um, transphobia, um, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, identity, except, et cetera. We have to find our way into solidarity. And the invitation for white folks on, June fi- on Juneteenth is to use that day as an opportunity, not just to kick it, But to really plan to understand, well, why is Juneteenth even necessary? Why haven't we ever had a day that commemorated the end of the atrocity of slavery?
0: Yeah. So what should white people do on Juneteenth?
2: Well, you know, I think white people, I I think you should, you know, take the opportunity. It's a federal holiday. You're probably going to get paid for it. Yay. Yay. Maybe time and a half. And take that opportunity to, one, do some study, have a sit-in with your family, or maybe organize a sit-in at your church or with your community. And when, and by sit-in, what I mean is a study-in, is to spend that day contemplating, reviewing, understanding history that you probably were not taught in school. I guarantee you, if you look back at your education, you will find out that it is lacking of inclusion when it comes to Black folks in the United States, so, and and you can say the same thing about indigenous history as well,
0: without a doubt. And and um, um, uh, and, and when we open up to each other's pain, it's it's actually um a more sacred, more connecting um uh, connection uh, experience. And so, if you're looking for something to do today, two to ten, at Birchwood Cafe, uh, celebrate Juneteenth, and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.